This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. This Saturday, the 22nd of January, with me, Zoe Enser. Today, I will be discussing generic versus subject-focused CPD, and if it really matters. I'm going to be talking with my guest, history teacher, Mike Hill, who I think is going to be arguing Absolutely. Yes, it does. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in. Talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, that was a bit of an abrupt end, but I think I've got the timing right. But then again, it goes straight into the end, which is a rather abrupt way to start my show. Good morning again from East Sussex. Um, it's a chilly morning here today with a, a balmy 11 degrees in the house when we got up this morning. So I hope everybody's staying wrapped up and warm wherever you are. Uh, it's been a funny old week for me this week in the big old COVID house, my end. Uh, trying to avoid catching it from my other half while watching him slowly go mad, feeling trapped in the place. My thoughts are with those of you who have been re- getting really poorly with this because uh, obviously we were lucky that he wasn't unwell, really, although you'll probably argue back that uh, actually he was. But um, also those of you who are having to juggle their usual routines. I, I can't imagine how you're coping with uh, isolation and children and various other responsibilities that you're having to do. It's hard enough trying to find ways to get out with the dog, um, let alone, you know, finding how to get the shopping in. So, you know, lots of solidarity to all of you who are out there still trying to cope with uh, the difficulties with that. But today I'm going to be uh, continuing my deep dive. Yes, I did say it. I did use that term. My deep dive into CPD. And I'm going to be focusing particularly on this idea of the subject specific versus the generic approaches. Um, as always, I'd love you to call in um, or text in your thoughts to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, I'm particularly interested to hear from a primary perspective as well, because we talk about this a lot of secondary and getting your English departments together and your maths departments together and how they work. But obviously at primary, you've got so many different subjects that you're responsible for and, and that you're exploring with the students that um, it must be quite logistically difficult. So I I would be very interested to hear about um, what your solutions are um, and how you're perhaps approaching this. Um, I have to kind of confess that this wasn't really a debate that had come up in my context um, until probably the last six, seven years. And, And in part that came from uh, the the, uh, change with curriculum, the changes to the specification um, and what was being expected there. So there used to always be a real focus on this general pedagogy and what you were kind of doing um, in those inset days would focus on that. Um, Or you'd be looking at behaviour, safeguarding um, and CPD around leadership and and those kinds of things. So it really wasn't something that um, that was discussed, I would say, in my context. That doesn't mean to say that it wasn't discussed in other contexts, but certainly in my context, it, it wasn't something that people were talking about a lot. And when we saw this shift coming and when we saw that shift, particularly around 
those specifications, it did change. Ayap, Clive, good to see that you've joined us this morning. Good morning, Tom, as well. So um, when those new specifications came out, it, it really started to change the way I was thinking about my subject. And, and I can remember first kind of my, my first conversations with my line manager when I was, uh, you know, teaching way, way back in, you know, 2000. And uh, they were sort of saying to me, well, unless you're teaching A-level, you can pretty much forget everything that you did on your degree. It's not necessarily going to be relevant to what you're doing day by day in the classroom. So, you know, don't, don't get any highfalutin ideas about what you're going to be discussing in the classroom. That isn't what secondary English teaching looks like and that isn't what the content's about and they didn't sit particularly comfortably with me um it was you know something that I was thinking well you know it's, it's a, a graduate profession we're insisting on people having these high quality conversations and uh, now you're sort of saying to me well you won't really be needing that and and back to the idea that you only have to be a chapter ahead in the book and it, it it's not really a concern um, she wasn't the only person to tell me that. It wasn't just my uh, line manager. There were other people who uh, talked to me about that. But when these new specifications started to come in and when I started to look at what the demands were on students, I found myself increasingly having to go back to my kind of academic learning, back to those days um, at university, digging out my own old copies um, and, and digging out my old essays as well, which is always a little bit cringy when you kind of look back and you think, what on earth was I thinking when I was, when I was writing that about Hamlet all those years ago? And, um, and it started to make me reflect much more on, on where we wanted our students to be going as well and how we were then supporting teachers to be able to do it. And I have to say, from my perspective, uh, it was really refreshing and I enjoyed going back to my subject and thinking deeply about my subject. I'd say it reconnected me with what I wanted pupils to get out of it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that exam results don't matter. Of course, they do for many, many reasons in terms of pupils going into their next step, in terms of, of us being able to see how that learning has taken place and having that kind of summative moment at the end of it. But uh, that was very much what teaching English had become at that stage. It was all about, you know, getting them through the SATs. It was all about, you know, what the data was saying and a real focus in on that. And it had distorted the curriculum and it had distorted the subject and it distorted my way of thinking about the subject and how I was enjoying it. So this change, this shift was really quite exciting. And uh, then when I started asking other subjects about it, they were experiencing the same. Uh, obviously, the change of uh, the GCSE specifications came in a little bit later for what they call the non-core. I'm not sure how we feel about that term. Um, I'd be interested to hear what you think about that. But the foundation subjects or the non-core subjects, their specification change came in a little bit later. And they needed that time to be able to really think through um, those changes. And for some subjects, it was completely new territory that they were delving into. And it, it wasn't a simple case of, well, you know, we'll, we'll just be ahead for, for a chapter in the textbook or we'll just be ahead for a chapter in, uh, in the novel. It was really challenging people to look differently at it. And, and I don't think that that can necessarily be a bad thing. 
But then at the same time, we had that real push for the generic and a real push for thinking about how we were doing things that was definitely coming from on high. This idea that you needed to you know, be thinking about your modeling, you needed to be thinking about questioning. You know, I've, I've lost count of the number of sessions I've done, which is all about effective questioning techniques, which weren't actually linked in any way to my subject. And very often people will be in those sessions nodding along saying yeah okay I can see that but without the opportunity to really discuss and explore how that related to what they were doing um, and what was happening with their subjects and to kind of create those links with things together um, so you know I, I'd be interested to hear, to hear if um, that was just my experience if, or if other people have found that as well, whether they found that um, they've got a real focus on subject or that that focus changed over years. Um, you know, other people who've been perhaps in the classroom for, for a long time may have seen those shifts and changes at the same point that I did. It may have come earlier. Um, it may still actually not be coming. You know, there may well be still schools um, where it is that real focus on generics. So I'd, again, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on that. Now, as I, as I always tend to do as well before these shows, and, and sort of generally when I'm thinking about any strand in education, I began digging around into the research into this and to, to see what other people had found. And uh, the one that really stood out to me, the, the, the paper that really stood out to me, and I will put links uh, to the papers that I reference on Twitter later today, is uh, one that was uh, conducted on behalf of the Teacher Development Trust, a, a literature review um, that was done uh, in collaboration with them. And what the literature review identified was four um, what they call key building blocks of effective professional development. And these four uh, key building blocks um, that you know, looking at all of the research um, across was that the, the main ones were uh, had to include subject knowledge, subject-specific pedagogy, clarity around learner progression, their starting points and next steps. So from my perspective, we really need to understand our subject in order to do that. And content and activities dedicated to helping teachers understand how pupils learn, both generally, so there's our kind of generic um, subject, uh, our, our, our generic um, pedagogy, and in subject specific areas. So all of those four um, that were found in this review linked really closely to subject knowledge. And they also found, uh, and again, I thought, I thought this was interesting, that subject knowledge was particularly important in maths. Now, now I would argue it's important across the board for all subject areas, but it was found that if maths teachers didn't get that opportunity to really focus closely on their subject um, that they would not be able the, the uh, kind of it wouldn't be as effective their instruction wouldn't be as effective their teaching wouldn't be as effective and their development wouldn't be as effective and so i thought that was an interesting strand that, that came out there i know there's been kind of um, research around teachers with ma's as well and i've seen dylan william talk about this too and um Actually, there doesn't seem to be any correlation between teachers who hold MAs and, um, and that kind of improvement of pupil outcomes. And obviously, that's what we're really thinking about all the time, isn't it? What are the outcomes for our pupils? How are we kind of preparing them for their next steps? How are we you know, creating uh, their engagement with 
the uh, the subject and uh, ensuring that they want to to learn more about it ideally so that when they leave us they they do go on to do that but there's been no direct correlation found uh, in relation to teachers who have an MA but I would say from my experience um, of really reconnecting with my subject it made me want to know more it made me want to devote my own time to it and, and I kind of signed up for my own own self-funded MA in English literature because I wanted to have that opportunity to explore it in more, in more depth and I didn't just want it to be focusing only on that content I wanted that breadth and and, and you know that's actually created a bit of a habit with me because I, I, I keep going back to those MAs I can't quite leave them alone um, and I know other teachers who've done similar that they've you know found that they've been so excited about their subject and they wanted to have that opportunity to delve deeper and and that had a really positive um, knock-on effect to my pupils as well because when they realized that actually I was still learning about my subject and and, and the domain of, of English language and English literature is absolutely huge you know there, there's no way that uh, there's anybody who is a holder of all the knowledge around that at all and, and they got quite excited and they wanted to know about my learning and that motivated them to want to learn and also help them to understand that you know none of us really are experts um, in entirety and um, and I think that was quite an exciting moment for me as well it also meant that when I was thinking about whole school CPD and designing whole school CPD um, I made my first pillar and I, and I kind of organized it in terms of pillars I made the first pillar the subject knowledge pillar um, and that was what everything kind of rested on after that and they had to have that strength of subject knowledge um, and that meant that department meetings really were kind of given over to that opportunity to help people to develop and help people to go further and um, and to shift away from those, you know, admin tasks where you just kind of go through lists of pupils um, or, or go through the, the kind of data and um, you could really focus on the content knowledge that you needed for those pupils and for that particular unit. But does that mean that we just need to ditch all those generic elements? Do we need to say, well, actually, you know, let's move everything to department let's move everything to that subject specific focus or do we need to perhaps be a bit more cautious in that is there value to learning more about retrieval and modeling and questioning in that generic way well you know i i would say yes there is definitely something um, to be explored in terms of that generic leadership of cpd um, but, you know, even, even so, there's, you know, a much more of a shift towards um, very specific uh, understanding in terms of leadership um, and, and the idea of being a very domain specific leadership. And so um, the new national professional qualifications are very much focused on making sure that leaders have a very specific understanding of, um, of, of what it means to lead in a school and a very specific understanding about teaching and learning and what effective professional development is or for effective leadership is within those contexts and have that opportunity as well to reflect on their context. So, you know, I, I think when we're considering, you know, how pupils learn and how we can optimize that in the classroom, I, I, there is an argument to be had 
that we've really got to have a generic element. Um, I wonder if you know people today disagree with that, and, and actually we should be shifting. It'll be interesting to talk to Mike a little bit later because I think he's uh, probably going to have some surprises for me there. Um, and I know he's been preparing to to really take down this kind of idea about uh, the generic. Uh, CPD that people have been getting um, but you know I, I think that, that, that that's a focus on subjects as well um, is really important for leaders and for them to understand it and I can understand you know I can also see that leaders aren't experts in all of those areas and so there perhaps there's some comfort in delivering a much more generic approach for professional development, perhaps you know, having inset days that just focus on questioning on that generic level is more comfortable because we have to be aware that there are things that we don't know. You know, there are things I don't know about the teaching of history and geography, and uh, my other half will tell you how much I don't know about the teaching of geography or anything about geography. But um, you know, it, it's a bit uncomfortable, and I think uh, Mary Myatt and John Thompson's book that came out a while ago, um, I'm, I'm assuming we pronounce it her, but it came out last year. And, and that really attempts to direct leaders um, to, you know, understanding what is, what are the issues, what are the concerns within different subject areas. And uh, there's, there's lots of opportunities there to build conversations around subject and to go to the specialists there to really identify what their barriers are, what their issues are, what their uh, key areas of focus are. But, you know, at the same time, great leaders will do that, of course, but there is that practical element to consider. And it's really tricky to find time for all of these things in schools. And, and that's why I'm particularly interested to hear from primary specialists and, and, and leaders of, of primary CPD, because how on earth do you make sure that everything has the time that you want it to have? Um, I was certainly encouraged to downplay my emphasis after I kind of introduced this whole pillar system and, and had subject knowledge at the start. I was encouraged to downplay it at one point because it would make timetabling a bit of a nightmare um, when people were being asked to teach outside of their subject areas or that um, you know there wasn't going to be that additional time that people wanted to focus in on their subjects. And, and so I was encouraged to maybe not worry so much about that, don't put so much emphasis on it. Um, again, not something that sat really comfortably with me. Um, and, and again, you know, coming back to the education inspection framework, uh, I know we don't necessarily like the Ofsted word in here, um, but, um, you know, how does that relate to having that understanding of your subject? How can you create an effective curriculum? How can you understand the sequencing? If you haven't got the time to sit down as a team, to explore that as a team, to really understand that and, and subject in all its complexity that you need to do. Um, now, I'm not the only one that's been thinking about this, it seems, because I've actually stumbled in the, in the last week or so on two different blogs that are focused on, on this. The first one was um, by Professor Daniel Merge, who's um, working, uh, I think he's Dean of Education um, at a university and uh, previously had been the Ofsted uh, research lead. Um, and he was, again, exploring this topic. And he very much sees it, um, this happening in education, as a, a real pendulum swing. We see it all the time where we move from one extreme to the other. We've got, you know, the whole trad and prog debate that mostly seems to happen 
um, on Twitter. But, um, we, you know, we swing from one thing to another. And, and you see people saying, you know, who've been in the career for, for 20 years, oh, here it comes round again, we're, we're swinging back to that. But it's always extremes. And, and we seem to lurch from one thing to the other. And, and I suppose there is that worry that, that we were really focused on generic CPD. Now, is there a danger that perhaps we're focusing or, or, or wanting to focus too much on subject-specific CPD? Um, and he says that we need to be a bit more measured with this, uh, a bit more nuanced, to use one of my favourite words. Um, and he says, um, in education, we are still often drawn to deny this duality of the generic and the specific. Recently, there's been a strong tendency to stress the specific. Teaching quality cannot be described in general. Curriculum design can only be done by specialists at a subject level and leadership is all about in-depth specific knowledge. This is a view that can be stressed is understandable as a justifiable backlash to a context in which generic leadership strategies could simply be copied from business, generic teaching methods applied across all school subjects and curricula based on transferable skills a view common in the 2000s. I remember that one very, very well, Daniel, and still present in the thinking of many across education. Yet going to the opposite position and claiming everything is specific also appears to be quite an extreme position. In teaching, for example, it appears to gain state all the evidence that learning itself is a pretty generic process, which would suggest that at least some elements of teaching are as well. All the evidence we have suggests that most things in education are neither general nor specific, but both. And we would do well to remember this before we simplistically replace genericism by specificism, nearly said that right, instead. Now, um, you know, he, he has, as I say, got a much more measured approach um, and, and he's worried about these kind of pendulum swings that, that we keep doing. Um, but you know, we, are we there yet in terms of you know have we had a have we had a chance really to focus in on that subject and, and to have those opportunities to do that? Um, Mark Enser, who promised as always to heckle from the sidelines, it says I agree with the central point, but I don't think we are anywhere close to focusing too much on subject specific. Yeah, absolutely, that's what I, I tend to agree there. I think most teachers have had almost no subject specific support since ITT, yes, absolutely. And, and I worked um, with, with departments who, I, I really felt that they were disconnected from their subject. They, they'd been, they'd spent so many years almost being told it didn't matter. And it, it was all about your kind of techniques of getting pupils in the classroom and behavior management. Not again saying that that's not important, but they'd spent so much time doing that, that they hadn't really had any time to revisit it and, and we talk about you know the books they were reading and the areas of the subject that they found um, exciting and interesting that they wanted to or they felt was necessary for their students to explore and actually they struggled to engage with that idea and, and I do worry that that's been something that's been um, almost fostered in the profession and uh, unsurprisingly Mike says he agrees with Mark there um, we'll get to you, Mike. Don't worry. Um, there's, and I think that you know, there's something in educational discourse that really invites this binary position. Um, but when you do look on the ground a little bit, I don't think we have 
those kind of binaries in, in quite such an extreme way as we might see when you see academics discussing it or, or you hear about it on social media. I think most people do find a way, but, but you know, it is a concern around that. Um, Clive says, of course, there are elements of genericism within teaching, which we need to benefit from whole school CPD. What is missing, as Mark has just said, is more time in subjects refining our core practice. In five years, I've not had subject-specific CPD because we don't get time for it. Um, I suppose that's my big worry. Um, that's my big worry, Clive. That um, that actually, you know, we, we're not we're not there yet. You know, we we can't be worrying about swinging the pendulum back or or, or finding a middle point when we haven't really explored any of the other side yet um joe says i think that sounds right in primary you end up leading subjects when you only have a shallow understanding of it um it's really down to individuals in school to, um, to develop themselves or to develop the subjects themselves and yeah that's that's a real worry and um you know again getting the time to do that um, and having the resources to do that can be really tricky um you know, having access to uh, the kind of subject associations, schools supporting the access to subjects associations, having time to meet with other um, leads in your particular subject area so that you can really explore that and making sure that those meetings don't just turn into yet another discussion around data, discussion around, well, how can we get them to jump through the, the, the SATS hoops or the GCSE hoops? Uh, actually what is it that pupils need in terms of content um, Peter Foster was also exploring this in a blog um, and, and this was a fantastic blog and again I'll, I'll share this on Twitter um, and uh, you know he talks about the long list of non-negotiables I expect to see this in every single lesson that I go in that, that were kind of given at the start of uh, on an inset day at the start of the school school year um, and what that does and how that distorts or has the potential to distort what's happening at a subject level. And um, I suppose going back to the, the Daniel Mergey's point I've seen him make before about, you know, teachers being these incredible beings that will, um, you, you know, if you've given them a bowl of soup and the only implement that you then give them is a fork to eat it with, they will try their damnedest to be able to do that. Um, ideally, if we, we know we need to give them a spoon, and I, and I wonder if in this case, the spoon would actually be the subject, you know, the, 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 and focusing in on that. But this idea of leaders dictating things, and obviously it's, it's easier if you're dictating and you've got a checklist, you can, you can see that, can't you? You can, you can kind of pick that up um, much more easily than if you've got a subject saying, well, you know, I took your idea around modelling and we've had to adapt it and we've had to adapt it and do it our own way. Or actually, that idea isn't useful at all. And, you know, it takes a brave leader to step back from that and, and accept that sometimes, I think. Um, you know, and, and Peter talks about, you know, the, the, this sort of distortion, but he has got some really useful tips for how you, you can do that and how you can approach it. So I would suggest um, that you read Peter's blog to see some of the suggestions of how they've tried to combat that in his school. Uh, Mark Hentz has got another suggestion there. He said, I'm doing a three-day programme with primary geography subject leads. I can't even say geography. That's worrying, isn't it? Um, just looking at the geography curriculum, they say they've never had anything like this in their careers before. Uh, maybe a benefit of the new Ofsted EIF? 
tentatively. Um, <laughs> there is a motivation in the system to focus on subject uh, discipline, finally, perhaps. Um, and uh, Nathan says, uh, agree, Mark, actually humanities training um, in primary is scarce. And um, yes, yeah, so, uh, and maybe that is a, a useful shift back. Now, I, you know, that's they're, they're my thoughts. They're, they're my ideas around it. And obviously, you know, I do think there is a need for um, a recognition that there is that generic um, understanding of how pupils learn and, um, you know, exploring things like retrieval practice and the benefits of that can be really powerful. And, and I would hate to suggest that, you know, we're moving completely away from that. But I am hopefully going to be joining Mike in a moment um, um, if he wants to call in. And uh, we're going to talk about it from his perspective in history and, um, and what his thoughts are around that. Um, yeah, Joe said, yes, definitely, especially when you teach through topics and the children cannot tell you the difference between geography and history. Yes, that, that can be um, a real concern. Um, you know, how do you kind of, sort of ring fence things around that subject? Um, and Mark says that sounds familiar. Um, and uh, obviously that is a huge concern. Um, I was talking to some primary pupils the other day and um, they, they sort of they singled out geography. They said uh, they find geography particularly hard because there are so many facts um, that they need to remember around that. And, you know, if, if, they've, if they're mixing everything up, if they're not sure if they're doing geography and history, I'm sure that that can lead to all sorts of things. Um, Joe says... Um, oh, well, where is the training, please, Mark? Um, here's your opportunity to kind of flag that up. Um, I, well, so far he's saying, I hope Mike's points only apply to history teacher. There'd be, there better be nothing applicable more generally. I don't know. I'm waiting for him to join. I don't know whether his technology um, has failed him. If anybody else would like to call in, I would absolutely love to have a chat with you about that. There's Mike. He's calling in. We're ready. Um, so that's good. I've got to be quick on the mark with this because I know that it flashes up on my screen really quickly. Nothing. There we are. Clive. Uh, thank you, Clive. Thank Clive. Like the show. It's good to have fans here. Much appreciated. Here we go. Here is Mike who's joining us now. Hello. Trying again. <laughs> it's always good fun, isn't it, with technology? It's, it's even better when you're doing it live with pupils and uh, things like that are, are going on there. So, you know, again, you know, particularly interested to hear if there are other subjects of experience similar. Um, it's, it says Mike's calling in. If any tech bots are there, please do give a hand because it's not flashing up on my screen um, at the moment. It's all right. They're on track with that one. But um, somebody was saying that, uh, that they teach health and social care in sixth form um, on Twitter when I was asking about this. And uh, they were saying that uh, they've had absolutely nothing as well. Here we go. Hopefully it's going to work this time. Hello, Mike. Hello, can you hear me now? I hear you now. It's always, it's always that moment, isn't it? Is this going to work? What's going to happen here? <laughs> It's lovely that you've made it in. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm good. Good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, 
yeah, not not bad, not bad. Now that things are ticking over nicely, not bad. I, you know, get a little bit worried before we start as to see if everything's going to work. But you know, we're we're in, we're there. It's it's happening at the moment. Um, so thank you ever so much for joining me. I know this is an area that you feel quite passionate about. Um, we've spoken briefly about this before. Um, maybe disagreed at points about this before. I think that might be fair to say. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'll let you speak in a moment and then you can tell me where I've been going absolutely wrong here. But just to start off so people um, kind of understand your context, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into teaching so far? Because uh, a bit like my guest last week, Clive, I, I, you know, you, you didn't kind of go straight to school into teaching um, and that particular route, did you? Uh, not not really, even though I've always done kind of like teachy sort of stuff, I think. Um, so I, I grew up and went to school in Germany uh, and my mum was a special school teacher for 40 years and she, like when I was younger, very often took me into her school, which was a really, really fantastic school. Um, so I always really enjoyed that. Uh, despite that, when when I was at school, I, I actually really didn't enjoy going to school for a really long time uh, and was kind of failing at school for, mm. for a lot of years. And then only really started turning things around when I was sort of in year 12. But then really got the kind of education bug and just hugely enjoyed learning uh, and my and enjoyed my subjects. Um, and also on the side was doing some kind of tutoring. So one of my my uh, teachers roped me into tutoring some younger students in the school. Uh, and I really enjoyed just kind of talking to younger people about the things I found really interesting. So then I thought I might I might go on and do that. Uh, so then went to university, did some teaching on the side whilst I was doing that, both at school and at uni level, mm -hmm. kind of teaching tutorials. Uh, and then afterwards, after I finished my degree, stayed on at the university as a research assistant, doing some research, but also teaching kind of undergraduate, postgraduate students in, in history. And then eventually moved uh, moved to England, which is where my then partner, now wife, um, lived and trained as a history teacher at the IOE in London and was actually a bit apprehensive um, before I started because some of my friends had trained as teachers in Germany and I didn't really hugely... Um, like the kind of things they were they were saying i was really worried i might just have to learn how to do group work 24 7 mm -hmm. uh, and all that stuff but then um when i started my training it was just completely the opposite the first thing i think we did was to read an article a really challenging article about what it means to think historically uh, what actually is historical thinking and then i just realized very quickly that there had been people doing research on how to teach history well and what it means to teach history well for 40 years and my whole training was about just that and I just enjoyed that hugely I was that person who always really enjoyed the school side of training to teach but also just absolutely adored I was always looking forward to the the uni sessions as well and then enjoyed that so much that I um, stayed on and did a and or not stayed on but did an MA in history teaching at the IOE during my NQT and RQT year uh, yeah, and now I teach history in, in, in North West London. That's kind of it. Fabulous. Uh, uh, yeah. well, what I think is interesting is you've always been really immersed in the subject community then. It, it sounds, you know, you, when you re-engaged with education in year 12, it, it was about your subject and that focus on subject, and, and then you continued that. When I trained to teach, I had no connection at all 
with subject immunity. Um, you know, I, I saw somebody who came in to see me teach. Um, I think it was March <laughs> of my um, sort of my training year from a university, um, and I had no sessions out, so everything was reliant on me having good subject knowledge and just kind of building on what what had gone before. And, and that was my course. Whereas yours sounds like it was really focused in on this, on that subject in that way. And as you say, you know, people who've spent all of this time really exploring what it means to, to, to think about history. Yeah, definitely. All, I would say all of my, well, we had kind of some generic lectures as well um during the training but i think those were actually the ones that people didn't enjoy as much or that weren't we thought weren't quite as good but the the bulk of it was so so subject driven um and i that i i'm a huge huge fan of high quality kind of subject driven itt as well as cpd <laughs> okay so um you, you know you, you've you've obviously set your stall there but i think you know we've got all of that generic um work that happens in school um but why do you think um that's been our go-to why why have we had that all the time and, and why is that an issue from your perspective i think there's lots of different reasons but i can i think broadly we could like divide them into kind of cultural factors and structural factors obviously i think they kind of tie in with each other but on the on the cultural side i think there is still and you you'll know this much better than me because you've been in teaching for a lot longer but i think there is still an overhang from the kind of transferable skills kind of era uh, when actually kind of subject or teachers had to almost hide everything that was specific about the subject mm. and kind of apologize for that and always focus on actually what what is not specific to what you're teaching. Mm. Uh, and I think that's culturally, I think that's done quite a lot of damage, even though that's obviously as a teaching approach become really, really, I'm not going to say discredited, but the culture is generally, I think, drifting in a different direction. But I think there is still an overhang from that. And I, I think... I, I, was oh, go I was going to say, I hear a lot about English is a skills-based subject still. It's a skills-based subject. And that idea of the, you, you have to hide it by saying, um, how is it going to be relevant to you when you leave school? And then people saying, oh, you know, how much have you forgot, you know, not worried about from your school years? Um, as though learning about a subject isn't inherently useful in any way. Yeah, definitely. And I think then also... Across schools, I think in England, we've got a tendency to see teaching very much as an activity. Uh, and we kind of really focus on when we think about what, what is teaching, we think about observable actions and what teachers kind of do in the classroom and around the school. Uh, when actually, I think teaching also involves an awful lot of, of kind of thinking or, or a lot of things that you don't see in the classroom, right? Uh, and I think we sometimes don't think about those things enough. And there is also, of course, always the kind of tyranny of, of the urgent and the observable in schools. And I think that really pushes us to looking at generic and like surface features of teaching, really. Mm. Um, but then I think there's also structural factors, which is that just subject-specific CPD is by default aimed at people who are spread across schools, uh, not so much at people within schools, right? Um, if you run cpd for history teachers in one school you're you're giving cpd to five people and schools are of course under pressure to like you to cater to wider like if you want to develop everyone then it's very hard to do that in a subject specific way unless you go beyond schools 
Mm. Uh, I think that's obviously a problem in in school CPD, but also for things like conferences and kind of edu publishing as well, mm. uh, where just there is an incentive to try and cast as wide a net as possible for your audience rather than to limit your audience by default. Uh, um, if you're going to present a workshop at a conference or you're going to write a book, you, you're going to sometimes struggle to convince the organizers or the publishers if you want to say, I'm going to just focus this on English teachers or history teachers or mm. RE teachers. Um, you're giving yeah, me so I, think, I, think, op- I was going to say, you're giving me a perfect opportunity for a plug there um, because obviously my new book that's <laughs> available in June, um, I, I was really clear that what I wanted this to be was a way of collecting subject knowledge together as well as making that link to teaching and uh, the, the pushback that I get from the very nice publishers all the time is um, that well you know we need to keep making it you know keep making it about the kind of the, the direct teaching of this that and the other but I, I really wanted a way that teachers of all phases would be able to develop their subject knowledge with some ideas of how that applies, with some examples of how that applies, rather than it just being, uh, you know, here's what you do in lesson one, here's what you do in lesson two. And I deliberately said, this is not, you know, I've, I've got kind of the mission at the start, this is absolutely not how do you get pupils to do the AOs for GCSE or for A-level? It, it, that, that isn't what this book is about. So thank you for the opportunity to plug that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we didn't set that up. <laughs> we, we didn't. But no. um, I, I think there's some really interesting things that you've, you've said there. You know, Mark particularly says he likes that idea of the tyranny of urgent, and, and, and we do, you know, all the time. We've been told we've got to get, you know, rapid improvement, fast paces, mm. you know, show me where it is. And then that kind of takes us to, you know, as, you know, the poor proxies, as um, Professor Robert Coe refers to them. You know, we look for the, the surface features. We look in books to see, you know, how what does this show me that pupils have learned? And actually, if we're going to go for the Dan Willingham, that people really have to think hard mm. and, you know, the, the memory is that residue of thought and we want that change in the long term memory. It isn't just a tick list of where I came in and there was a pupil answering a question. Ta-da, you know, that, that, that's all done. We know that, that that's all good. We yeah. Something more. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's really interesting. I think there's also, like, just to come back to your question, why, why is there a problem as wow. well, like the focus on the generic? Um, I, I do think it is a problem because I think it depends on how we frame teaching. I think currently there's a bit of a, a risk that the... I think there's a very prevalent idea of teaching as a kind of form of delivering things. Mm-hmm. I think that's a phrase that's being being used a lot. Um, and I think that's problematic in, in, in different ways. But for me, the core of teaching really is solving instructional problems. Mm. I think teaching is all about encountering problems, wrestling with them and trying to solve them so that students learn particular things. Mm. And I, ten- I think those problems, the key instructional problems, are domain-specific problems. I think there is, to be maybe a bit edgy, I think there is no such thing as being good at teaching. Mm. I think there's only such a thing as being good at teaching X or teaching specific things. Um, I, I, I like your edgy point, though, because, uh, again, I've been told that once people can teach, they can teach anything. So once yeah. you've got that teaching ability, you can magically walk into any classroom. Now, having done plenty of cover in my time, I would say <laughs> that's not entirely true. <laughs> I, I think, and I think that is something that was really prevalent in the kind of skills or transferable skills era, uh, or like the kind of 
I think the, the whole idea of that teaching is kind of clicking through a PowerPoint, right? Mm. Um, and doing that really well. And I think we're, I think that problem still hasn't gone away. I think this whole idea of kind of teaching us delivering lessons or delivering knowledge or whatever still really focuses too much on the kind of observable things that happen in a classroom. And, and I don't think that is, is what teaching is fundamentally. This could take us in that direction of the kind of the, the scripted lessons and the, the curriculum that's designed by somebody outside and, and then mm. they kind of bring, bring you in. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure I know how you feel about those ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what, what would you say about that? What about scripted lessons and so on? Scripted lessons and curriculum that's been kind of brought in from else, elsewhere or... or you know. Yeah, surprisingly not not a fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just because I, I think there are big issues in that around teacher agency and I don't mean like autonomy. I don't think... Mm. we. I, I, I wouldn't say that teachers should be able to do like whatever they want. There should be like no, no sort of accountability like at all. Uh, but I think agency is very important, right? Not not so much autonomy, but agency. Mm. Um, and especially intellectual agency as well, right? Like I don't think anyone goes into teaching to just kind of be given a script and try and do that in particular ways. And also, I just think that falls down as soon as someone in the room asks you a really difficult question. Mm. Um, in in history, like, for example, it's only a matter of time until a student will, will ask the teacher, like, how do we know all of this happened? Mm. Uh, and that is actually a really, really complex question. Yes. Um, uh, and a, a teacher who's not really had intellectual agency in what they teach and who's not had probably the training to think about those sorts of problems uh, will will just struggle to teach well. I mean, like earlier, I think you can see Clive said, uh, teaching and teaching well are different things. Mm. Uh, and I think if we want to teach well, then um, we're not going to get that through a sort of delivery model. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, that point about sort of that intellectual agency and the complexities of our subject, because there are contested issues and there, there are debates that are going on in history and in English literature. I, I think our subjects have got quite a lot of, of uh, crossover uh, in terms of some of those debates as well. And um, if you haven't engaged with those debates and discussions uh, and problems and difficulties, then it, it can be really, really hard. Mm. Um, Mark says that the logistics of organising good subject-specific CPD is a real headache. Yeah, I know. I've been there. I've done that. Um, easier to do generic. But who delivers the sessions and how? Um, and I suppose that comes back down to sort of the expertise in school, the um, you know whether whether you have got that development, or maybe those again those links to um, outside, those links to university and those sorts of things. Um, Clive says the urgency of being seen to do something plagues many aspects of schools. Very much a case of being seen to do something. Yeah but often papering over cracks. Um, solid uh, foundations make for a more secure product. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and uh, he also says uh, the first is instruction, so the teaching and teaching well-being different things point that he raised. The first is instruction and teaching really is a much deeper thing and, and as you said, Mike, perhaps not so observable. Um, Joe says, except for PE, scripted lessons for PE are very handy. Um, yeah, I, I, I could appreciate that. And again, I guess we're back to that that whole point, aren't we, of um, 
you know, if you if you are delivering a huge range of subjects, how can you possibly engage with all of these different debates and different topics? Can we expect a primary teacher to be able to engage with all of that on that same level? And 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 in fact, do they need to? You know, what, what do you think, Mike? I mean, I've got no experience teaching primary at all, um, so I can't. I don't think I can. I've got wisdom to share on that. Um, I, 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 just from a sort of human perspective, it, it seems unreasonable to me to expect primary teachers to be experts in in every single subject in that way. Um, I think maybe that raises questions. Again, I don't. I'm not an expert at all in primary. I don't know how it works, but I think maybe that raises questions about: it, is it a good model for one teacher to to teach so many different subjects? I know that, like, the counterpoint I think probably is that there's a the point about knowledge of the children and how they yeah. it's much harder for them at such a young age to have different teachers. Um, I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I think it is really, really important that primary school teachers have access to subject specific training um, if they want it and if, if, if they feel like that would be really, really beneficial to them. No, I think that's a really good answer, actually. And, and there, there is that discussion about, you know, how do we then organise schools in order to be able to do that? Um, or how do we support people if we are continuing with it? And, and what do we lose if we were to go down the subject-specific route? And I, and I suppose that kind of brings me back to that Daniel Merge point. Um, mm. Can just knowing lots about your subject and finding it really interesting be enough? Um, could we end up going too far down the subject specific direction? Um, I think firstly, I would, for me, su subject specificity doesn't mean just subject knowledge and finding your subject interesting. I think that's maybe it. I don't think that's a helpful framing. Mm. Uh, I also think, and I think this is something that Mark mentioned earlier in, in the chat, I don't really see that danger currently at all. <laughs> Um, I think kind of culturally and structurally, we still really lean towards the generic by default. Uh, so I think anything that kind of tries to um, change that is, is a good thing at this point. Um, however, I also think it's really not helpful to think of the relationship between the generic and the specific as this kind of spectrum or pendulum of like mm -hmm. how much and where is it. Um, for me, the key question is not kind of how much specificity uh, but the key question is if the subject is in the driving seat. Mm. So do we start with the subject, right, and things that, like problems that emerge within domains and then see what are the best tools to kind of address that and fix that? Or do we start with a kind of generic tool and that try to impose that onto subjects? Mm. Um, I think that's something I, I see a lot currently is when people do talk about subject specificity, uh, they say, or they frame it around, right, you start with something like retrieval practice, but then say, oh, go, how, how does that work in your subject? Mm -hmm. And I think that's approaching it the wrong way around, really. Maybe that's kind of controversial again. Uh, but I think that is not being subject specific. I think being subject specific, it means that the subject is the starting point, is, the, is in the driving seat. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of choose your tools based on that. So, you know, for example, looking at, at um, you know, your students and say, or looking at your, your curriculum and saying that the students are really struggling to retain this information and then to be able to use it flexibly later. So how might we fix it and what tools have we got out there to do that? Yeah, well, 
or just kind of on, on an even like bigger level, like for example, in again, I'm just talking as a history teacher because that's what I know. Mm. But a question like, what do I want 14 year olds to know about the British Empire? Mm. Right. And what, why do I think that's important? Or how do I get 11 year olds to understand the idea of feudal relationships? Or how do I explain what Puritanism means to 14 year olds? Mm. So, those are the kind of questions that will arise from teaching. Mm. Uh, and they are the key problems that teachers have to solve. And then from there, we can go and see like what are the different um, answers to, like what are potential answers to that question? How do we solve that problem? And that could be, could involve cognitive science, but could also involve a, a load of other things. Uh, but I think those are the kind of problems or questions that we have to start with. Because I, I think otherwise we're not really, I don't know, I think if you give someone a hammer, right, mm. and say, Hammers are great. Go and hammer some things in your house. Um, it's, it's, it's not surprising if you then find out someone's kind of hammering screws into the wall or trying to fix a tap with the hammer. Yeah. Um, rather than saying, hey, here, like my, my roof is leaking. What, what, do I, what do I do about it? Right. I'll just hammer it some more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to deal with it. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, Jenny says it's, it's tricky for sure in primary. If I plan an amazing block of language lessons with all the bells and whistles, then something else has to be on the sidelines. Absolutely. Um, I won't try to pronounce um, it's VZNCX English, I think. Um, it's difficult to find access to subject-specific experts for CPD for more vocational subjects. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, and I think that was what someone was alluding to on Twitter, um, that you know, things like plumbing and brickwork, we therefore concentrate on communities of practice to apply. So, you know, what do we do with those perhaps outlying subjects? You know, it's fantastic for us as kind of in, in the fields of kind of English literature or linguistics or yourself in history to go, right, we're going to really meet as a subject community and we're going to explore this. But what about those subjects where those communities perhaps don't exist? Could we be leaving them on the sidelines if we, if we don't, you know, provide them with, with those tools or at least give them the access to those tools as a starting point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to come back to the article you mentioned earlier by, by Daniel Mers, I think there are obviously some generic themes or techniques that run across subjects, right? I'm not going to deny that, but I think all of those tend to be kind of facilitating strategies, right? Like mm -hmm. they are important, but like they're not important in, in their own run things. And you mentioned earlier kind of things on, on questioning technique, for example, right? Uh, and there, there is no kind of educational benefit to improving your questioning technique if you're asking the, the wrong questions. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and what the right and the wrong questions or better or worse questions are depends on what is being taught, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think we always have to start with what is being taught and then, then work from there. I absolutely agree with you. And, and uh, in terms of, of questioning, particularly, that's something that's worried me for a while that, you know, we're, we're focusing on you know, how to ask the question. But, you know, you, you can be asking the most rubbish question or you could be, you know, using retrieval that's not retrieving the right information that, that your pupils actually really need mm. because it's become quite arbitrary. It's become this um, this superficial need to be seen to be doing um i suppose back to <coughs> sorry peter's uh, point about you know the the, the lists of non-negotiables that are given to teachers at the beginning of the year 
and uh, people turning up just to expect to see those to tick them off on the, off the list. Mm. Um, Joe says, if you think, uh, do you think that if primaries were more involved with secondaries, we focus much more on that it'd be helpful for the subject and pupils going forward? What, what do you think, Mike? Would that be a useful thing from a history perspective? Yeah, I think it could be potentially, definitely. Um, I think we have to be really careful as as secondary teachers to kind of think that um, we're the experts and the primary mm -hmm. teachers just kind of need to <laughs> need to listen to us and learn from us. I, I, like, I think it should be very much a kind of two-way process and also to recognise that teaching a subject at primary and secondary, um, like that's, those are different processes as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't just kind of, I think it's, too, it's very tempting to think you can just kind of import secondary um ideas into primary i don't I, like again i'm not a primary school teacher but that strikes me as a as a simplistic idea mm. but like i think i think collaboration is is hugely important i think subject communities are hugely important uh and for secondary and primary school teachers to engage in those communities together um strikes me as a really really good thing mm. Absolutely. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I look obviously at transition um, and I agree with you that, that when you look at how they're learning about English at primary, there are some significant differences to what happens at secondary. And, and I think if I was in schools now, I'd be looking at my transition in a slightly different way. And I'd, I'd be looking at my initial year seven lessons in a slightly different as well, way as well in order to perhaps signpost some of those differences to pupils. But also, you know, that argument is, you know, should we have a greater alignment? Um, you know, we have this sort of almost cliff edge at the end of primary where um, everyone, you know, everything changes. They've, they've done their SATs. They've, they've shown what number they're getting for their reading, their writing and their English. Um, they've got, you know, got their grammar grade. That's it. They can move on. Um, and actually, we, we need to think about that. And, and Jenny, very, you know, she, she sadly said that there's no link between the primary and secondary um, where she is at all, which uh, she says is is uh, silly, and, and Joe agrees and says yes, it, it's really minimal. So, how we can do that um, is is something you know yet another area to explore. I think yet another topic. Um, oh, and and Clive said something um, which uh, I know that there would be a few people uh, such as Nick Wood who'd be a real fan of. Um, could bringing back middle schools be the answer? Could that be a way forward for it? Or you know. Could we potentially have just different click cases mm. that pupils fall off of uh, in terms of subject? I don't know. Yeah, so that's an interesting question yeah. and definitely one to ponder. Um, okay, I'll, I'll come back on to script now because we, we have uh, wandered around a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, th I think um, from a history perspective, you know, I had the question, what do you think the specific focus should be? What would be useful to you? And I think you've touched upon that quite a lot, actually. But is there anything else that you wanted to kind of talk about from the, from that history viewpoint, what should the focus be of, of CPD or mm, CPD and, and and development? I guess of your subject generally. Yeah, I, I think again, like not to sound like a broken record, but I think it just that really depends on what is being taught and what problems the teacher encounters in their teaching. Mm. Um, I think it's really important for us to have a kind of bottom up approach to CPD, right? Like start with the kind of problems on the ground what is the teacher encountering uh, and those problems will be in like 90% of them will be subject and domain specific 
and they can range from the kind of macro to the micro level, as I, as I tried to kind of say say earlier. But I think solving these kinds of problems is the core of teaching, right? Realizing, oh, my students aren't really understanding X. Why is that? Or they can't do a certain thing I would like them to do. Uh, and then how can we kind of move them towards that? Um, so I think I think... I don't think there is one thing that everyone kind of should focus on. It always needs to be bottom up. Like what problems are we encountering? What problems are we trying to solve as teachers in the classroom? Do, do you think there'd be, you know, if you were to be talking to lots of different history departments, do you think there would be some commonalities or is it really, oh, yeah. yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So so those same kind of big meaty questions um, yeah. would, would be what what's kind of everyone struggling with. 100%, yeah, and that's kind of what in, in CPD that I've led for history teachers, I always start with with problems I've encountered in my classroom and then ask, like, are these, like, familiar um, to you? And, like, most of the time people people say yes, and then we kind of move from there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really key. I think we tend to have in England, or like, across schools and across the sector, too much of a kind of top-down um, approach to CPD where you start with a, a tool rather than a problem. Mm. Absolutely. When when I run my um, subject networks, my subject leader networks um, in Kent, um, I always say to people, "What do you? What are the problems you're experiencing in schools at the moment? What are the issues that you want to deal with?" And uh, and increasingly over time, you know, I think at, at first when I was running them, it, it tended to be kind of um, much more managerial and organisational. Mm. And now in, now we're we're focusing much more. On, on that subject specific. So um, they, they were wanted to really think about um, the issues around feedback and the issues around marking um, for this particular session and thinking about the curriculum in terms of, you know, how are you preparing students for Key Stage 5 with your curriculum? So, so things like that from a subject leader point of view is what they wanted. And uh, I guess if I was then to talk to the teachers and run networks for the teachers, there would be other things as well. The, within their subject so, so that's been a kind of nice shift um, around their thinking and, and around what people are looking for um, I've got to I'll read this out because uh, Colin McCormick has said uh, great history CPD entails following and listening to Mike Hill Fact. <laughs> that's, that's, very, that's very kind of him <laughs> it's, I would say it's also very very true as well uh, Mark Hentz has kind of thrown in the middle school thing and said uh, he went to middle school and taught in a town that had them, and so he has said dot 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 no. Um, he has put a question mark at the end. <laughs> Mark's just here to heckle people. Oh, he's he spent too much time in the house. <laughs> absolutely, and he's been out this morning. He should be absolutely fine. Right. He should be able to deal with things. Um, Clive said, "Great to see that, that Mike sees the bottom-up approach the same as he does. It works so well outside of uh, of schools, and CPD is about solving these problems." Yeah, and I think that's coming back all the time, isn't it? Yeah. And um, and uh, he's also agreed with Colin and said, "I learned so much from him as a non-specialist. I'd have taken history if you uh, if you did." It's really flatter Mike day today, isn't it? It's- yeah. <laughs> this is, this is, I'm, I'm loving this. This is great. You should either get your own show or, you know, come back regularly. <laughs> <laughs> that was very, very, very kind of him. Um, Mark so, uh, kind of answered Joe's question as to why um, middle schools weren't the answer. It says it means even longer without specialist teachers. I think um, by year seven, uh, pupils are ready for it. And, and I've taught in a school where they had um, 
the kind of transition year in year seven. So they had come up from other schools, but then they worked with non-specialists. So I think it was 14 of their 25 hours. Mm. Um, and whilst we found that pastorally that, had some positive effects, although we did get some interesting pastoral issues coming out in year eight when they left the, the safety of year seven and ran off into the wilds. Um, but uh, certainly from a subject point of view, uh, there were concerns about um, the depth that pupils were getting and the challenge that pupils were getting um, mm. around that. So, But that's not to say that that is how all middle schools are set up and how they work. Um, in terms of that, um, so, you know, again, we've touched upon this, but how might we work with our teams and the structures in schools? How might we kind of be able to, to use that to ensure that we're getting that really good outcomes that we want for students, but from that subject specific direction? So, you know, we've got, you know, our CPD sessions, we've got our inset days. What should they look like, do you think, for us to have that much more subject um, specific focus? In, in schools? Mm, yeah. It's a really good question. I, I understand that it's very, very hard to organise that on a whole school level and to try and make that work. Um, I, I do wonder, I mean, like, this is, again, maybe this is going to be really edgy, but I do wonder whether whether the idea of whole school teaching and learning is is inherently flawed um, or, at least, like, or at least in the way it currently is often practiced in schools, if it just needs to be a lot more about empowering middle leaders, empowering subjects, but also like giving them the time to do it, but um, more about kind of facilitating that engagement for subjects within subject communities rather than kind of trying to make something that is that works for everyone in the school um i know that's quite a kind of big challenge to, to how how teaching and learning how cpd generally works but i wonder if if we do need to be iconoclastic about it need to be brave about it mm -hmm. i do think that subject communities are really really key uh, at, at many different scales uh, so i think treat it's very important to treat subject departments in a school as subject communities I think sometimes, again, because of this tyranny of the urgens and because of the way we've traditionally done things in schools, uh, departments can sometimes be more administrative units. And it's, it's easy, it's very, very, um, or it's very hard to treat departments also as kind of the engine rooms, really, of good, high quality curriculum and pedagogy, pedagogical thinking in a school. But I think that is what departments should fundamentally be. Departments should read together, discuss together, plan together, and, and should have time, uh, timetable time as well to do that. Um, but also, I think it's really important to go beyond schools. I think subject-specific CPD uh, at some level will need to go beyond, will need to tap into wider communities, that subject associations, that can be local networks, could be within, within multi-academy trust as well. So anything that links subject experts which tend to be spread around the country rather than to be in one school uh, together I think that's really really important for high quality CPD. Mm. I, I think that point about um, middle leaders is is really key you know we, we do talk you know we, we talk about them being the engine rooms but sometimes that feels like lip service yeah you know, you're, you're, you're the engine rooms you're the drivers you're the ones that are taking this forward and you're so important 
but do we always involve them with the discussions around whole school issues? Do we seek their views out enough? And then do we empower them to actually take control? You know, control sounds that sounds perhaps the wrong word, but you know, do we empower them to to really be able to have that right focus yeah. within within their teams? To and and do we trust them to know what what yeah. needs to be done as well? And and I think issues of trust are always coming up. Yeah. Um, when we think about schools, and that's where that whole school driver of teaching and learning can really focus. And we're back to somebody turning up with a checklist and ticking off whether people have done those things that are expected without necessarily having that that depth of understanding. What do, what do you think? You know, this might be a bit kind of controversial, um, mm. but what, what what do you think about non-specialists observing subjects and, and teachers? Um, you can say I'd prefer, I, I would prefer not to answer. <laughs> no, no, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a fair question. I think I, I think it depends what the observation is for, right? Mm. Um, I do think, as we said earlier, like there are um, some things across schools that are generic, right? Kind of things like how, how do the students enter the classroom or whatever, or how do they leave? What other kind of routines? I, th- I do think there is merit in seeing how people do that so you can... Um, See if there's something you can kind of usefully magpie for your for your own practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm really I'm a big fan of just having a kind of open door uh, culture in schools where you can just kind of drop in, drop out, um, and 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 kind of observe other people. I think if it is for developing teachers, then I I personally think that the benefit, the, what can be gained from a non-specialist observation, is very limited, uh, and will usually tend by default to kind of really lean towards those proxies and yeah. towards the kind of observable things that are going on in the room. Uh, and we'll look for, like, is the teacher doing X rather than asking if they're not doing it, is there a reason they're not doing it? Yeah, yeah I think, I think um, if we do look for very observable surface features, things in teaching, it's really easy to assume someone is not doing something because they haven't thought of it or because... You know, there's there's no genuine reason for it when actually there might be lots of reasons uh, for doing certain things and not doing certain things that might not be visible to to a non-specialist. I think it, it, for developmental and for CPD reason or purposes, observations are much more beneficial if they are subject specific, subject specialist observations. Uh, you know, I've I've learned a huge amount by going in to see um, other subjects. You know, so from my developmental point of view, I've, I've learned a huge amount for going into practical subjects. For example, um, you know, seeing things like modelling in those areas really helped me to refine how I would then go back and, and work with that in in my own subject area and and what I could take from it, and particularly the small steps as well in things like music um, mm. and PE, and that was really interesting. Um, increasingly yes. over time, what I found was needed in, in, in terms of observations um, was that dialogue that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to somebody before I come in if I can. I want to talk to somebody after the lesson. And again, it's about exploring that together. And I will be learning as part of that as well. And I might, you know, and, and if that helps them to reflect and, 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 and develop and I can then give any pointers then i think there there could be value in it 
but you're right you know we we do then end up like you know people talking about pace um, yeah, people yeah. you know <laughs> pace is always you know was the pace you know could you increase the pace like pay it has to be really quickly that you run through everything and, and missing what you're asking the students to do in terms of that depth of thinking and, and we mm. end up back in that sort of situation there yeah um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I think that that's a bit of a knotty problem, again, that, that leaders might have to be brave about and, and have a think about as well. And, and that's why I, I liked um, Mary Might and John Thompson's book as well, because that was mm. starting to encourage that dialogue much more um, in terms of that approach. And I know, I know they're looking at primary as well now. Um, Clive, coming back to the, the middle school, said, what if the model was changed, so specialism were taught in those key areas? Um, science specialists are like hen's teeth at primary. I, I saw somebody saying um, about uh, language, why, why don't primary schools just uh, employ lang really good language teachers? And I pointed out, uh, firstly, money, secondly, availability, Thirdly, money, probably fourthly, money, <laughs> and, and, and actually, this you know, it seems like a, a simple answer, um, but it isn't always the way. Um, I, I like how there's I like how there's a, a discussion going on in the in the I chat know, that is running it, it, completely <laughs> parallel to <laughs> to what we're talking about. Come on, guys, you're meant to be involved in this. <laughs> but, uh, again, they're saying a sort of satellite department joined with secondary departments. Coming back to that point from earlier. But then Mark's saying, uh, how would they be organised? Uh, where are the specialists coming from? What are existing primary school teachers doing? Sounds great in theory, but I can't see it ever being done. Um, so yeah, his usual positive self there. But he has come back to our point about observations. Good point in observations. The discussion afterwards is key. And that is true, whether subject specific or not, absolutely. And I, I can't guess why um, a teacher is doing something, even if they happen to be an English teacher. I need to have that conversation and um, I can remember having a, a discussion with a leader about differentiation before a lesson and, and them saying, <laughs> where will I see the differentiation in your lesson? And I said, well, you probably won't see it. Mm, exactly. I, <laughs> I can explain it to you and I can talk about all the scaffolds and how I've decided to break things down and what I'm doing for individuals and why I've decided to take this particular approach, which is all about differentiation but you what you won't see is everybody's working on a, a yellow worksheet on one task or or they're sat in a particular group um that that, that i know you know that's my sen table that i'm going to be working with and, and things have thankfully moved on in terms of differentiation but i wonder if they have for other topics in quite the same way yeah, and I think that that point about that Mark made about the conversation is is important. However, I, I would still challenge whether like a conversation between a specialist and a non-specialist, um, if they don't speak the same language, if they don't have the same mm -hmm. reference points, like it's you would have to potentially the specialist would have to catch up the non-specialist on so many points because they 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 will have had like years and years of of training of of thinking about the subject thinking about the, how they how they teach this um that it can be really really difficult um to have that conversation if those kind of key building blocks and kind of the, the reference points aren't aren't there and that's not anyone's fault that's just because people specialize in different things mm. but i think especially the higher the level of complexity uh, the more difficult it will be to have have a meaningful, productive conversation between a non-specialist and a specialist, right? If if I had a conversation with a space engineer, I don't know about <laughs> like what, what about like how to build like I don't know a, a, 
space station. Okay, I'm, I'm just running out of examples, but you know, <laughs> there, you get what I mean, right? The like Star they would, Wars. they're building they, the Star, okay. Yeah, they would have to start at like such a basic level with me before that, that we would probably run out of time before we got to the kind of key key points that we could productively like discuss or that the feedback could be about. Does that does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And, and again, I, I was thinking about about this in terms of my uh, second plug uh, book. Um, that that you know this is not that you know it can't be a replacement or um, the depth of subject knowledge you would get if you were doing a three-year degree or you know four years because you were doing an MA. Um, so so I, I can absolutely understand what you're saying there, that you know, you'd, you can be talking a completely different language yeah. um, with, with people in that way. Um, I have to say one of my most enjoyable um, elements um, as a leader in schools, though, was uh, line managing history. I mean, it might be, of course, again... Of course. <laughs> but it might, it might be a game because I'm, I've got an interest in the subject anyway and you know the MA I'm doing at the moment combines literature and history as, as a, a kind of dual award but um so I've always had that interest but it was it was fascinating to to sit down in my line management meetings I'm hoping the person I was line managing found them as interesting as useful as I did but you know I, I found it fascinating for him to talk about his curriculum to talk about the issues that he was having in the subject and then what I could potentially do as a leader um, in order to, to support him and to support his team to take that forward. So, you, you know, I, I, I think there's something there, but also being aware of our limitations mm, and, yeah. and what we can offer to people um, in terms of, of that deeper understanding. And I guess that's where the subject communities come in. Um, Anika has agreed and said um, specialists observing have a better understanding of the nuances of that subject mm. having observed across sectors and subjects the more experience you have um, of the differences the better those post-observation conversations are but it does take time to get it to, uh, to the point and initially those conversations are limited and if you haven't got time if it's if it's rushed in schools um, which we know it often is you know, you've got 10 minutes after break, after kind of um, the end of school duty and we'll sit down and we'll do some feedback. It, it's not particularly developmental. Yeah. Um, and also says it's tiresome for for the one being observed if they have to explain some of the basics. Yeah, keep, yeah I'm doing this because this is what I know about my pupils and what they, mm. they need. Um, Mark says, because oh, he has the question, I wonder how often it is true that specialists have their own language to discuss their teaching. Um, maybe they should, but most teachers haven't had much specialist subject specialist input. So maybe he's right, maybe they haven't. And so they're kind of hanging it on, again, those proxies or the generic terms um, mm. to do that. But that segues quite nicely into, you know, I wanted to talk to you about subject associations. You, you know, we've mentioned them a few times and you've been mm -hmm. quite involved in that. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about that from that history perspective again? Uh, just of my experiences of, mm. of um, yeah, so in, I mean, in history, we are really fortunate to have um, really active and well-developed kind of subject associations. So there's the, the HA, the Historical Association, which has been around for over 100 years. Uh, and then there's the um, the school's history project, which was established in the in the 1970s, very really important. And then there are kind of other smaller, like not smaller, well, yeah, but like other organisations that have kind of sprung up over the the last few years, who are really doing a lot to connect teachers, history teachers, and to give uh, to organise conferences and workshops and webinars, and and who give a fantastic infrastructure for history teachers to engage with each other. Uh, and that's, I think, that's 
had such an impact on on my teaching because I was really lucky that in my PGC I was working with a teacher who took me to to one of those conferences. Um, that was the West London Free School Conference in in London. And that just completely hooked me in. And that's when I kind of started also to talk to people on Twitter. Uh, and then I started going to, to all of the uh, the other conferences. Uh, and through that, I've met other people who I'm now really good friends with, who I discuss history teaching with on a, on a weekly, almost daily basis. Um, so the subject associations for me have been absolutely key in, in, in my own, in driving my own development, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's great to be able to really geek out, isn't it, with other subjects, especially, yeah. to, and to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I talked to um, a fantastic, like a kind of legend in history teaching recently, a man called Ian Dawson is just wonderful. And he said the one thing he always loved about those conferences is that you got there and no one questioned why you're there. Mm. Uh, every, you just kind of immediately kind of click with everyone because everyone is there because they love history teaching. You don't have to justify why you're spending your Saturday or Sunday talking about teaching medieval society to to 12-year-olds. You just kind of, it's just immediately a kind of network or a community of like-minded people who can kind of hit the ground running talking about the things they find really interesting without having to justify it. Uh, that that's how you know I, I often look on with envious eyes and I know that there are subject associations um, in English and, and and meetings and lots of opportunities but I've often struggled to tap into that so I think that point of you know ITT um, you know or, or on your PGCE having those opportunities to start in, engaging um, with that from the off that's fantastic and I'm sure that there are uh, providers who are really trying to tap into that and and um, and working in that way but yeah I've, I've learned loads from Christine Council and I've learned loads from yourself um, about the subjects and uh, and about reflecting on my teaching then um, mm. and, I, and I really liked you know I, I, I read the uh, Ofsted um, history subject report and I really liked that I, I thought there was a mm. lot I could take for my subject to reflect on and, and and they made a lot of reference to subject associations and and uh, the, the kind of community around history and and I, it does sound just so fantastically well established i know geography has similar i will have to mm. say that and I'm, I'm sure there are lots of other examples out there but yeah thank you and um, tom rogers has had to do a little plug and just say that teach me history icons is also good yes so um <laughs> let's not forget yeah. them Absolutely, and there's the the, the um, history teacher book group on on Twitter as well. There's loads of fantastic groups and communities and organisations, and I think that is kind of leading to another point there because like sometimes people like when I do talk about the importance of subject communities, like people sometimes say, "Oh yeah, but like you're you're a history teacher, you're really lucky. You've mm. got a really well developed community with associations." But like all of that is is driven by people um, mm. and by teachers. Um, who've been like you mentioned the the, the Ofsted research reports mm. that referenced a lot of articles written by by history teachers over the last thirty years. Mm. Uh, so all of all of that is like most of the kind of all of the conferences, the talks, like people speak there for for no money. Um, they do it because they love history teaching and because they they want to push themselves and help to push others in in their teaching. Um, so like not to go kind of all cheesy John F. Kennedy, but I think there is a <laughs> point about like, you know, ask not what your subject community can do yeah. for you. Ask what you can. Uh, I, I think that is important. I think when people especially put that down as a kind of challenge to say we can't have subject driven education improvement because there, there aren't the communities, the associations that exist in history. Like I would always say, but what someone who says that, what are they doing? 
to yeah. develop, to engage in those associations and communities. Yeah, well, you know, we, we've got, you know, just on social media, we've got Team English and um, mm. there's uh, also the, the fantastic work of um, Lit Drive as well yeah. and, and what yes. they've offered for, for teachers. And again, that's, you know, they do the free, you know, they do the conferences or the, 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 the sessions. There's lots of remote. And I think the remote element has perhaps opened up that world a little bit more for people whereas you had to be in the right location or you had to be able to have the right um, family situation to allow you to be able to perhaps attend some of those things and to engage in those. I, I really enjoyed going to the British Library a few years ago and spending the day with English teachers on my Saturday where we, yeah. we explored um, that. But but that was something that was kind of paid for and I was, I was lucky on that occasion that my school paid for that as well. So, mm, yeah. so you know, it's, it's, it's those perhaps those three things that we can really grow there. Um, Mark has said he's really lucky to have the GA and RGS um, in geography, but uh, have to remember that most teachers have very little to do with their organisations um, and he uses the articles in the department CPD in order to, to develop that. So, uh, so I, I guess that kind of, you know, I'm, I'm aware of time and I've probably taken more of your time than we initially oh, no, 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 agreed, um, right? <laughs> Could I just jump in and say one, yeah. one thing? Uh, just because you mentioned the kind of the, the, the advantages of, of remote CPD, I think that's fun, absolutely true. I think one of the big advantages of that has been to just open it up to like a much, much bigger audience. And I think that's so important as made like, I think I'm really, really happy and optimistic about that. However, at the same time, I always say that when, like, when when I was a new teacher, I mean, I still am relatively new, but when I went to those conferences, actually, I took as much. It sounds like a bit of a joke, but I took as much from the kind of conversations at the bar in between workshops as the workshops itself. Uh, both because I think just kind of reflecting by talking to someone about the workshop you've just both been to is really, really powerful in terms of kind of consolidating those ideas and kind of trying to, to apply them. But also just the kind of friendships I've, I've made through that have really sustained me as a history teacher as well. So as I said earlier, I, I talk all the time now to, to people who, who I met through those conferences at the bar. Um, so I think there are, I think remote CPD is really, really important. We should carry it forward. But I think there's also a really important place for the in-person events. And those are really, really difficult and expensive to to run and organise. Uh, so it's important we keep those running as well, I think. Yeah, I, I think that is a really good point. And, um, you know, it really, I've come across departments where I've said, oh, you know, what are you going to do at the weekend? And, and their weekend was going to be them going to the Globe together to see a production of Shakespeare and, mm. and and that for them was both CPD but also enjoyment and they'd get to discuss it and they'd get to explore it and uh, you know that that can't be underestimated that that opportunity to collaborate mm. um, is absolutely key there. Um, Joe's raised a really interesting question which um, I think we'll, we'll probably leave hanging there for, for listeners and, and others but do you think pupils can see differences in, in subject knowledge is that something that they're aware of and Mark said that is a huge question um, I think you've taught disciplinary knowledge um, but I think they rarely are and Anika says Joe yes they do because of the way the teaching style changes as a result a teacher with strong subject knowledge will have much more open approach to questions and learning activities. And I suppose that kind of comes back to clicking through a PowerPoint or scripted lessons versus someone who can kind of explore that subject in, in more depth. Mm, yeah. I also think that be, beyond kind of like direct 
things like outcomes and so on from I think it's a wonderful question what what do the mm. students think about the teachers because I think a really big part of of teaching is also kind of fostering relationships between what the students between the students and what they're learning and a lot of that comes through the teachers so how does the teacher model their own relationship with the subject right and mm. I think that's something so powerful obviously like we need to make sure we we teach the key things we want to teach. But I think there's something really powerful about a student asking a good question and the teacher being able to just go off on a tangent and talk about and answer that question, talk about really interesting things that are kind of beyond the core curriculum for the students just to see, oh, wow. Like, I always found that a really powerful moment in, in lessons when a, you just respond to a curveball that a student has thrown you and, and you do it well and the students just see, oh, wow, here's someone who knows a lot about this stuff um, and, and who's really, really geeky and excited about it. I think that is really important. I think that's yeah. a, a, a kind of element of teaching we sometimes don't, don't think about enough because it is yeah. hard to plan for. I'll always remember uh, about 10 years ago, a student saying to me, calm down, miss, it's just a bit of English. It's not just a bit of English. Yeah. This is fantastic. This is amazing. And I will be excited if I'll, I'll be excited enough for all of us <laughs> in the classroom. Mm. Um, but it's, it's been fantastic talking to you um, this morning, Mike. I think there's loads of food for thought, um, loads for leaders and teachers to really think about. In, in terms of this, um, I, I will flag the episode to uh, Daniel Merge and, and, and Peter Foster as well and see if I can get some feedback from them too um, on how we've discussed and explored things. But it has been absolutely fantastic talking to you this morning. So thank you for joining me. And I hope you've got some lovely things planned for the rest of your day. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Zoe. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, okay. So well, thank you again. Now, the, coming up later, we've got... Um, We've got uh, Emma Williams, who's going to be talking in the brunch show. And um, it's been absolutely fantastic exploring this today. Um, I think that there is more to consider. Um, I think it is a really tricky balance that we've got here. Um, Clive suggested that maybe I could get Daniel or Peter um, or both on for the next guest. That would be fantastic. I'd love to talk uh, to, to them about this particular topic. Um, and Mark's just giving some love to Mike, saying Mike is the best of us. Um, so thank you ever so much for those of you who've listened live and, and for your contributions as well. Uh, I am really keen to carry on this conversation, as I said, you know, really keen to talk about this on Twitter and explore this further, because I think we're just starting this journey, really. I think there's an awful lot more that we could be exploring and discussing. So have a fantastic day. Do tune in to listen to Emma Williams, who's coming up next. And uh, hopefully the music will say goodbye for me. Goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.